You want foot and face? Disarm. <laughs> Good boy. minute do you want tinnitus because this is how you get tinnitus by watching mad max beyond thunderdome one minute at a time i'm rick and i'm julia and today we're talking about minute 23 which begins with the collector grimacing at the lights and it ends with blaster being tormented by the boatswain's call joining us to help balance out the terrible whistling noise is none other than george hendrix from the mogwai minute I'm here. And I would just like to point out that listening to the podcast itself doesn't give you tinnitus. It's just if you listen to it at a very high volume, you'll get tinnitus. <laughs> Absolutely. There's nothing worse than that terrible ringing from tinnitus. It's ugh, just awful. Wow. Especially when you're just sitting there and then all of a sudden the ringing just comes in out of nowhere and you're like, why? Like all that playing with flashbangs as a child just, you know, just screwed up my inner ear. You know, if they didn't want kids to go deaf they wouldn't make fireworks so fun <laughs> and so explodey <laughs> and if they didn't want you to blow your hand off your arm they wouldn't have made fireworks so fun yeah no. julia you're being sarcastic but they are really fun they are really fun but <laughs> you know i've always used them safely and i have neither blown my hand off or have tinnitus nothing is more disappointing than lighting a firework and then having it be a dud mm -hmm. he's like oh uh, Nothing. It's it's just like a part of your soul dies. <laughs> just don't be holding it when you do light it. That's just kids, you know, don't. Let it go. Lay it down. You're fine. Unless it's a Roman candle. That's fine, yes. Yeah. You can shoot those at each other, just not at the face. Right. Get some trash can lids, you'll be fine. I have a shield. <laughs> <laughs> if if we had legal counsel, this is where they would tell me to say that the Mad Max Minute does not advocate for the holding of fireworks of any kind. Yeah, Rick, Julia, we're going to need to record a disclaimer for that or just cut it because um, that just opens you up to all sorts of legal legal issues. Yeah, I severely hope that there aren't a ton of kids listening to our podcast because kids should not be watching the Mad Max movies because most of them are rated R anyway. Exactly. Also, kids don't use fireworks as birthday candles. <laughs> That's a free tip right there. That's a life lesson. That's a life hack, if you will. Yeah. And you can have that one for free. Yeah, yeah. So as exciting as fireworks are... Which they're very exciting. The opposite of exciting would have to be how this minute begins with the collector and he is sitting at his desk and the lights have come up and he turns to look at the lights coming up and I don't think I've mentioned this before, but there's one specific thing, or I guess I could say one specific thring to make a play on the actor's name, about the collector that I really do not like and it's gotta be his hair. And by hair, I mean the few wisps of long blonde hair that are coming out of that big fat dome of his. Hey, you know what? Vanity cop props up in weird ways sometimes. Like he probably really values and he really extra washes and conditions those few strands of hair and he like lights them out like, you know, like just they never see like harsh chemicals. He probably wears a hat when he goes outside so they don't get sun on them. I can understand wanting to hold on to that vanity and taking care of what little hair that he had left, but the guy is, oh, he's seriously two steps away from being a hut. Just take a razor to those last couple of strands and just embrace the baldness at that point because it's not coming back. Just free yourself, yeah. Pull a, pull a Bruce Willis, just shave your head. Exactly. Well, I wonder what their razor situation is here in the post-apocalypse. 
He's clean shaven. That is true. Okay, never mind. (laughs) There are enough people walking around with shaved heads, at least enough to have mohawks. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's true. Selective hairstyling. Yeah, they have to, if they don't have actual razors, they have very sharp knives. Okay. And I mean, if you are out in the wasteland and you want to be an absolute badass, you know, you get that really sharp blade and you just grab that giant crocodile dundee knife and just shave your head. Just scrape it off, yeah. Oh, dear me. (laughs) What does that look for, Julia? Reminds me of Dances with Wolves, where the fictitious representation of the Native Americans is very much, they all slice off the skulls of their victims. Scalping? Oh, scalping. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it's just, ooh. The shaves don't get much closer than that. Nope. Kids, um, (laughs) don't scalp. Not even concert tickets. <laughs> Unless you really want to see someone and they're all sold out. It's okay to buy them. Just don't be that person who's like, I need tickets just so you can turn around and sell them for a markup. That's ridiculous. Ooh, no. That's dirty. Yeah. Doing it on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't be that guy or girl. If you have to resell them because you can't go or you bought too many or whatever, that's fine. I'm okay with yeah. that. That's what StubHub is for, you know? Yeah. But if you do it on purpose, that's low. Yeah. It's a jerk move. <laughs> that's that's low. Dishonest. <laughs> So is anyone else getting like an uncar plot vibe from uh, the collector? Yes, absolutely. I kind of have. I really wanted to say like two and a half portions and slam his hand down and that sort of thing. It's just, it, I mean, it has to be some sort of homage to uh, to the collector in in the last in the Return of the uh, the Force Awakens. Oh, can't speak. <laughs> you are in good company. Yeah. Because Pete Mummert, he wasn't able to make our recording, but that was the exact thing that he told tom taylor to mention when we had them <laughs> scheduled to be on here like oh uh so pete wants me to mention that uh, uh that uh the collector he looks like uncar plot pete wanted me to tell you the guys that yeah. uh so uh, i'm gonna do that and uh there you go that was tom taylor stopping in again you guys he wanted to pop in and say hello as well always good to see tom popping in <laughs> It is almost a little disappointing that the first lines of dialogue that we hear from the collector, he's specifically talking about quantities Mm -hmm. to trade in exchange for things that have been brought to him. And he doesn't use the phrase portions. He should. Maybe they specifically use portions because they knew he didn't say that. They want to be too on the nose. It was like 30 years before Force Awakens came out, but you know. (laughs) Fractions. (laughs) Fractions. <laughs> yeah, there's an homage, and then there's just downright copying. Yeah, that would be flagrant. And George Lucas and the Star Wars series in general, they would never just blatantly copy things. Well, The Force Awakens was obviously, you know, it was ripping off well, its own movie, so it couldn't go and rip off another movie, too. It's like, we got too much ripping <laughs> off going on already. One thing that certainly reminds me of the Star Wars movies, as the collector is sitting here, we're seeing the shadows from a ceiling fan or something that are moving across his face and as one of those shadows move across the collector's face we get a wipe down to underworld and it's a very smooth transition it's almost natural and we go from the collector to seeing blackfinger standing in amongst a bunch of people and here in this situation we find max once again at a disadvantage blaster has once again taken hold of max and holding him in front of the other denizens of underworld and not just grabbing max but he's put and i say he i mean blaster has put his thumb into max's mouth and then wrapped the rest of his mitt around underneath max's jaw i mean personal bubble come on respect it oh that's not the worst of it it's the fact that they're in a big old pig infested poop 
based environment. And based on what we know about Blaster upon repeated viewings, it's like, I think that might actually be the same hand that he threw a hunk of poop with earlier in the movie. And it's like, the last thing you want is that hand anywhere near your mouth. I'm pretty sure the hunk of poop scene was the same day. Yeah, so there's very little chance that Blaster washed his hands. No. Before putting that hand into Max's mouth. Because something tells me that the hand sanitizer solution is not doing a lot. Yeah. There's like, it's the situation is bad. That reminds me of something I saw in the bathroom at my doctor's office that it kind of stuck with me as so bizarre. It wasn't a hunk of pig poop, was it? <laughs> Thank Certainly goodness, not. no. <laughs> not that kind of doctor. New doctor, Julia, new doctor. <laughs> there was a sign that said, if your hands are visibly dirty, then wash your hands. If they are not, then use hand sanitizer. Uh. I have never seen a sign, especially in a doctor's office, actually tell me not to wash my hands. Actually say to me, it's okay not to wash your hands, but use hand sanitizer. So weird. Never seen a sign like that before. Have you ever heard the doctor's lead receptionist ask the doctor who runs Doctor Town? <laughs> because that could be responsible for a lot of the weirdness going on. Could be. That power balance thing. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Like, if you don't have to take particulates off of your hand through running water and soap, it makes sense that you would want to save the water. But even so, it's just, it's a weird thing. You need water to make hand sanitizer. You're still using water. Yeah. Or yeah. at least alcohol. Yeah. Just don't drink the hand sanitizer. It's not good. Yeah, that'd be a bad thing. That's it. I mean, it might get you drunk, yeah. but then it might also kill you, kids. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. Another PSA courtesy of George Hendricks. The legal counsel of Mad Max Minute is not recommending the drinking of hand sanitizer. <laughs> no matter what it's flavored as. <laughs> and not flavored, scented. I remember I have to remind myself when it's something you're not supposed to eat, it's scented. When it's something you're supposed to eat, it can be flavored. I have trouble sometimes making that distinction. Do you also have to determine when it is an appropriate time to wash your hands versus using hand sanitizer? <laughs> no, we've got signs for that. They make signs for that. <laughs> So Max is being held with a poop hand, Ugh. lifted up to Master, and Master asks Max, you want foot in face? And of course, Max shakes his head no, because he's already got a poop hand in his mouth. He doesn't want a poop-covered boot all over his face. I mean, with the amount of poop that's down here, it's not an ideal situation, but you don't want to exacerbate that issue. Yeah, you got to think that his, his reticence to get kicked in the face with that boot isn't necessarily because it would hurt. It's because he's seen where the boot has been. Exactly. Well, Max already has a disease of some kind from the thumb in his mouth. So, I mean, a little bit more isn't going to change anything. You also got to wonder how robust their immune systems are after living, you know, basically in poop, stinky squalor for, you know, a while. Maybe there's a appropriate amount of radiation that is counterbalancing the amount of grossness from the feces. Well, radiation weakens your immune system. That's, oh, that's why right. people who get chemotherapy and whatnot, that's why they're so weak and tired and they get sick easy because it, not only is it attacking the cancer cells, it's also attacking everything else too. Well, the radiation could be gamma radiation Ooh. and they could be getting low level Hulk powers. Yeah. That's actually probably best case scenario because nothing can hurt Hulk. My fingers are crossed for if I have to experience some sort of radiation exposure. It is of the gamma sort, not necessarily of the uh, chemotherapy radiation type sort. Maybe that's why Blaster is Blaster. It's because he's yeah actually a Hulk. 
got a little hulkiness that's to him. That's head cannon now, except he's not green, which is fine because that's trademarked. <laughs> Again, don't yeah. want to rip him off. Yeah. I think the cosmic radiation with the Fantastic Four, that would have worked. Yeah, going off that thinking, if I had to get blasted with some sort of weird sci-fi radiation, I don't know, the weird sci-fi radiation from Watchmen where it turns you blue, I mean, I'd probably still wear clothes, but... You wouldn't care about clothes because nudity would no longer be a construct. It would just be a social thing. Yeah, but jeans are really comfortable. <laughs> what? What? Don't make that face, Julia. Denim is awesome. I mean, denim is good. I mean, I wear jeans a lot. Okay, I wear jeans a lot too, but when I'm home just being comfy, I change into comfy pants. When Rick is home being comfy, he keeps his jeans on. Okay, when you get blasted down to the subatomic level and come back as a Dr. Manhattan type. And reassemble yourself molecule by molecule. Yeah. You can wear yoga pants. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. Yoga pants are absolutely an option. <laughs> Speaking of options, Max has chosen the option where he does not get the boot in his face and instead he has to disarm the explosives that are strapped to the bottom of his vehicle. And Master calls him a good boy, which is an absurd thing to hear someone say when they are being held like a little baby, but that's beside the point. So Max goes over to his vehicle, hops in the driver's seat, and the first move he does is to pry open a panel, like a secret panel, on his steering wheel, and he presses a button to set off an alarm. And the first reaction we see is that of Blackfinger, who hits the dirt. This dude assumes that that dynamite is about to blow, and he freaks out. Well, yeah. He's got good reflexes, but getting on the floor when the dynamite is under the car is not going to save him. In fact, if anything, it will direct the blast out towards him. Yeah. Now, I'm pretty sure Blackfinger is the only one who's actually seen the dynamite. So he knows best what an alarm coming from that vehicle could mean. But he also knows that there's enough dynamite. It does not matter if he's standing up or on the floor or starts to run away right then. No matter what, he is going to die. Although he probably stands a better chance instead of hitting the dirt is if he grabs one of the guards that he's standing next to and like hides behind them. He's like meat shield. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. And you know, if you flatten yourself on the ground, you have less of a chance of being thrown and less of a chance of getting hit by shrapnel and debris. Mm -hmm. hmm. I mean, there are benefits to duck and cover, as it were. <laughs> hmm. Just like the 1960 whatever film? <laughs> Exactly. The little turtle. Yep. I don't know what you're referring to. You know, the little turtle and uh, they sing the song about duck in cover and the atomic bomb goes off in the distance and the turtle pulls into his shell, ducks and covers. Wait, where did you see this? It's like a Cold War era cartoon that was created to show kids what to do in the case of a atomic attack. Yeah. You know, like you do. You remember when we were talking about the Atomic Cafe and I mentioned that there was a documentary called The Atomic Cafe that had a bunch of 1950s and 60s propaganda cartoons. Yeah. That was one of them. Okay. The duck and cover thing. Okay. Are you talking about the Atomic Cafe in Los Alamos? No, this was a, I want to say, 1980s documentary that oh. compiled a bunch of propaganda stuff. Because I'm pretty sure there is a there is an Atomic Cafe in Los Alamos, New Mexico that I've eaten at. And it's got like pictures of all the guys that helped develop the nuclear bomb and that sort of thing. It's an interesting um it's kind of like a hard rock cafe for nerds. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nice. And also nuclear weapons enthusiasts. That sounds a lot better than the atomic cafes that we've got in our area, which are just uh, hipster coffee bars. Uh, we have an atomic cowboy, I think, in Denver that's basically just a hipster bar. <laughs> so with the car alarm going off, Blackfinger has hit the ground. Blaster has an extremely different reaction. Grips the side of his helmet and he starts to thrash around. Now, I looked up the average decibel rating, and decibel is mostly loudness, just to layman term it up. Car alarms and sirens average about 115 decibels, and that's roughly the same loudness as being in the front row at a rock concert. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a fan of your hearing, you want to start using ear protection right around the 90 decibel level. Because once you pass 126, you're getting into the range where sound alone can make you hurt. Yeah. Like, will cause you pain. So, clearly, Blaster's helmet is acting like a little echo chamber, taking all of that noise and bouncing it around inside of that dome of his. Now, do you think it's a decibel issue or it's a pitch issue? Because... As we see in a little bit, it's like it's not so much about the level of sound. It's about the intensity of the pitch. It's probably a little bit of both because as it's bouncing around inside that helmet, Blaster is grabbing the sides of the helmet, but he can't actually cover his ears. So any effort that he takes to reduce that noise is fruitless and there's no relief for him. So whether it's strictly the pitch or strictly the loudness, like this is absolute torture for Blaster. He's not having a good time. Yeah, he doesn't know how to react in a, in a calm manner. Certainly not. Although he does recover pretty quickly. Yeah, because Max is sitting there behind the wheel of his vehicle and he activated the alarm and then it looked like he was continuing to do stuff in the car and he just happened to notice that Blaster was freaking out. I feel like this discovery of his is completely on accident. He didn't sit down and think, oh, I'm going to activate the alarm first and foremost just for kicks and giggles. Yeah, at first I thought he did activate the alarm just for kicks and giggles. But then reviewing it again and again, I think I decided that it was just the first step in the process of disarming the car. And the alarm being an audible alarm was just so that he could know if anybody found the hidden first step. Right. Yeah. And also, I think he just set the alarm off just to be a jerk. Because he set it off, and then he's like, <laughs> all right, well, okay, everyone's freaking out. Then he's like, he just pulls that little thing off, and that's how he disarms the bomb. But it was a good to get everyone's reaction, you know, and he's always trying to scope out people's, you know, reaction times. You know, he's a, he's a fighter. He's a warrior. He's trying to constantly check everyone out, size them up, if you will. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Master Blaster. No pun intended. (laughs) So as he's doing this process, he's activated the alarm. I think he's messed with something else, but he takes his little pry bar and he reaches up and he trips a little spring trap. It's kind of like a tiny bear trap. And once the tiny bear trap has been tripped, he grabs this lever with a little baby doll tied to it and he flips it up. And that not only deactivates the alarm, but I'm assuming it deactivates the explosives as well. Which, you know, it seems like a simple enough process. It's definitely not a simple enough process for the mechanic, for the Blackfinger to have figured out on his own though. Because... That seems like a pretty weird set of steps for people to just stumble upon. Yeah, and multiple parts of it were hidden behind panels. Especially the steering wheel. It never would have occurred to me to check inside the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just assume an airbag would be there, right? Exactly. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of when in Thunderdome, Max tries to drive the war rig on his own, and it turns out that there are special steps you have to take before the war rig can drive. Mm-hmm. It's that same type of thing, the idea of a complicated setup and selection of maneuvers that George Miller showed off here and he applied to a different situation in the fourth movie. And it's nice to see little things like that move forward. 
You take what works. Yeah, and it's and it's also that's exact situation in Back to the Future. Biff comes the only one who can start his car. <laughs> yep. One, I guess, thing that's positive about Blaster's situation is he seems to recover quickly once the sound stops. It's not like there's residual effects that he suffers when the loud noises that cause him such pain stop. Good thing he's got tinnitus and not vertigo. I know, right? So as Blaster gets up, we cut back to Max and we can hear Master calling for Blaster to pick him up. Because when that loud noise started, Blaster probably dropped Master somewhere. And we actually get to see him kicking his little legs tomorrow. He's landed on his back somewhere. But before Blaster has an opportunity to pick Master up once again, Max pulls the bosun's whistle from his belt and he starts blowing up. On it and this is exactly where all of that talk about max's monkey tossing things off the back of his wagon back in the beginning of week two this is where it comes to a head and it's like okay yep this is where it starts being important the fact that that monkey threw this whistle specifically it all comes full circle yeah i have a bit of an ethical problem with this max has already seen that the decibel level or pitch level of the alarm triggered this reaction in Blaster. And I understand that he wants to confirm that the whistle will do the same thing. My problem is, is that he blows that whistle way too many times. So I counted, the uh, the car alarm goes off for about 17 seconds. The whistle gets blown between this minute and minute 24 for about 10 seconds. So about two-thirds the time. But for how much thrashing and screaming Blaster does, I can definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah, I just think Max is causing more pain than he needs to. True, but they, I mean, it's a barbarian society and yeah. they're not really like known for their like social niceties and that sort of thing. I'm not saying it's a good choice, but it's definitely an character choice right and max is not the nice guy that he once was oh he was a nice guy at some point Uh, (laughs) uh. i went and found on a message board somewhere this guy was like i have a crap ton of whistles i'm gonna see how loud they are and he found that the boson whistle is about 110 decibels so it's pretty comparable to the car alarm in both loudness and pitch all right so it definitely does the trick as far as replicating the effect of the car alarm on blaster that's fair so convenient whistle is convenient yep and much more so in the fact that it's portable he doesn't have to haul his car around with him in order to like gain the upper hand should he use it later on yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah the portability of that whistle is going to prove to be game changer both a blessing and a curse (laughs) (laughs) like it'll be easy for him to squirrel away but it will be ah tricky for him to hold on to in fact the fight that's coming is going to be prolonged quite a bit because he's unable to hold on to that whistle so not spoiler alert because everyone listening to this has definitely seen this movie before but you know (laughs) you have that to look forward to but you got no one to hold him and so maybe he's just like all right i have this option but (laughs) yep with whistles you gotta know when to hold them know when to blow them know when to walk away and know when to run exactly considering that it's on a chain, no one to keep it around your neck. You know, that's a good point. Max never does anything to secure that chain around his wrist, around his neck, around his belt, anything that would keep it from getting thrown (laughs) across an arena. Yes. I have so many thoughts about that scene that I've been holding on to, just waiting for that minute to come up. Oh, that's going to be a good one. Mm-hmm. That Thunderdome fight is outrageous. and I would hope so, because if the Thunderdome is in the title and it's just sort of like a non-event, and that's, that's a little misleading. <laughs> That'd be very <laughs> disappointing. When 
Master off screen says over here, Blaster, that he wants Blaster to come pick him up again. The tone of his voice is remarkably nice. Nice is a strong word. It's not angry or mean. The way he talks to everybody else has this tone of superiority. But when he calls to Blaster, he doesn't seem angry that Blaster dropped him. So I think that is a consideration to Blaster's mental capacity, which is never, it's never explicitly said. It's just intimated that he has diminished mental capacity. So I think Master is nice to Blaster. I think he recognizes that- I think Master is only nice to Blaster. Like, out of everybody in Underworld, in Bartertown, in his life, Blaster is the only one that he is kind to. Yeah, I think so. Huh. I'm just so curious about their history. How'd they get together? But you obviously, he knows, part of it is is they have a sort of like a symbiotic relationship. He's the brains, he's the muscle, pinky in the brain, if you will. And then you have like, you know, this sort of like vague quasi paternal thing going on. Do you think that's what it is? Because it is he is like an old, old man. And then like, you know, Blaster, while he is large, he's childlike. So I guess there is sort of that aspect as well. Do you think that Blaster is either Master's son or like grandson? What are we, if they are f- familial, what do you think it is as far as generations are concerned? Ooh, well, probably son but I doubt that it's actually familial. I think that Master plays a fatherly role in Blaster's life. And perhaps in the past, before they really formed this quite bizarre symbiotic relationship, that it might have been more fatherly, something we would recognize yeah. as a standard fatherly relationship. Makes me think about The Stand. And uh, Yeah, I don't know any of the I names, know. Okay, so I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> The guy who says M-O-O-N, that spells whatever. Oh, Tom? What's his name? Tom something. Yeah, I'll look it up. You know, he was... He was a simple man who was out there in the world all by himself until somebody found him. Tom Cullen. Tom Cullen, yeah. And then he meets up with Nick, who is the the deaf guy who signs to him. The Rob Lowe Yeah, yeah in, the movie, in that version of the movie, yeah. So I'm wondering if it's a similar thing, if Blaster was out there in the world roaming around, having survived the apocalypse, maybe lost his support system mm-hmm. in the process... And Master found him and took him under his wing. And eventually they formed this symbiotic relationship. The more I think about that relationship, the more unhealthy it seems. Yeah. 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 George, do you have any thoughts about it? M-O-O-N. That spells Bartertown. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I think about the actor who plays Master and his history in cinema, I kind of imagine that Master could very well be someone who, before the collapse, traveled with a circus and was part of a sideshow. And being in a sideshow is not intellectually satisfying at all, so he's probably the kind of guy that read a lot and researched and whatnot, so he's very smart, probably met Blaster in that type of circus setting, and that's probably where they hit off that connection. And so, after the collapse, obviously, the circus is no longer going to be a circus, but he's going to have all of that knowledge that he built up over his lifetime of study he's going to have this big strong guy that he can rely on and so they probably knew each other before the collapse or at least in that scenario they would have maybe barter town was built on where the circus used to like was last point is set up and so they have like a Mm -hmm. 
that's this whole past thing. And maybe it's like he was the ringmaster or something of that nature, which gives him that sort of sense of entitlement when it comes to running things. Yeah, I mean, there are train tracks that go up into Underworld and the generator is very train-like. I mean, it's not a traditional train by any stretch of the imagination, but if Master knows a lot about trains, maybe he was part of a circus that traveled by rail a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a possibility. Yeah, and now it doesn't look a lot like a traditional train, but maybe it's morphed over time. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting way to look at it. Mm-hmm. It is. So... If it's a very paternal type of relationship, do you kind of see that as a bit more healthy than just Master using Blaster straight out? No, actually, I see it as less healthy because if they have a paternal type relationship and then they have this symbiotic relationship, I think Master is taking advantage of the paternal relationship to get Blaster to do things for him. Yeah, I can see that. I I mean, I definitely don't feel that there's a... A healthy dynamic there. As, as, as much as it, it is, it's not a good one. I definitely feel like if Blaster didn't have Master to carry around and get orders from, that Blaster wouldn't have much of a purpose in life. So it's not ideal. It's not like Blaster being a Benno type hanging out with May Swayze at her farm. I mean, at least then he had fields to run around in and animals to take care of and someone to take care of him i mean if blaster didn't have master i kind of worry that he wouldn't fit into this world and the wasteland would just chew him up so this might be the most merciful arrangement that he has and true i think he he, blaster does need a paternal figure to help him navigate this new more cruel world there can be a place for him just as blaster but he would still need master to help him find that place and to help him maintain that place yeah you just don't like the way that master uses blaster as more or less a mobility chair yes and i know that master does provide services to blaster takes care of him make sure like we said that he has a place and has work to do and is taken care of It just doesn't feel equal. Mm. It feels like Master's taking advantage. Well, I think that's just what Master does. Yes. But he seems to do so with a greater amount of consideration with Blaster than with anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, who run Blaster Town? (laughs) Master Master run Blaster Blaster Town. Town. Yeah. Well, we have pretty much reached the end of this minute. I think we're going to put a pin in here and we're going to pick up where we left off here on Friday. So in the meantime, sit tight. We'll be back then and we hope you'll join us. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 23 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time Over!